Hello, and welcome to the MCAP Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. I'm your host, Chris Sands, and this week we are joined by Sarah O'Haran from Black Ankle Vineyards, located in Mount Airy. In Mount Airy, yes. Right, cool. Nailed it. Uh, <laughs> thank you for coming out. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So I know um, very little about wine. Uh, you are only the third winery we've had on, uh, so I'll probably ask a lot of stupid questions because I've definitely asked stupid questions to each no problem. <laughs> previous no person. There's no stupid question. You can start anywhere. We're happy to answer whatever you got. Um, so we typically start these out, or I just get a background of the person. Like, so what, um, what were you doing before you started Black Angle? All right. So, well, so Black Ankle Vineyards is a project that my husband and I did together. We had both been business consultants and then had actually taken a little time off to kind of, um, whatever, travel and goof around for a while. And we're both, um, we're both just like food lovers and wine lovers and like to be outside and are kind of adventurous and just decided to start this winery. So we came from a totally different background. What, what does business consultant mean? We worked for a firm that did uh, best practices. So companies would hire us to help them figure out who were the most innovative companies in the world and kind of what were their structures like and how were they, you know, how could they learn from that or how do you run an effective sales force? So we did all kinds of different, okay. all kinds of different industries. We we're very research based. So what we took from that, what we learned how to do was go out and figure out who's doing things well in the world and how you can learn that and move that to a different industry or a different company. Okay. So you would like, as you said, study what other businesses had been successful and like, try to apply it to other ones? Yeah, exactly okay. that. Like if somebody was saying, oh, you know, we're not getting enough new products in our pipeline. Why, you know, why not? Then we would go out and figure out who was who had a great product pipeline and then what were they doing sort of structurally as a company to try to encourage that um, or, you know, a- any number of industries. But that was the kind of thing. So one company would hire us to help figure out how to how to make themselves more effective. That sounds much more useful than any consultants I've ever had. <laughs> it was a very practical kind of business. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was, and very research focused. I mean, we that kind of research background did did help us a lot when we decided to do what we're doing now. So, yeah, yeah. I, I work in the IT department here. Ah, and yeah. At one point, they had hired an IT consultant that it was it was kind of a way. It, it doesn't matter why they were here, right, right. But they gave a report, and as I was reading through it. Almost everything they said was purely just trying to justify themselves <laughs> being. We did no IT like, work. Like <laughs> it was it was, reading through it, I think there was one thing that could be gleaned as an actual action item. Right, something Every, you could yeah, do differently. Everything yeah, yeah. else was just like purely personal preference type things oh, or funny. just made up and ridiculous. <laughs> well, I'd like to think we were different. We did not do any IT. That's a whole different world. And I, I mean, I can barely turn my computer on. So it's a good thing that wasn't my job. Well, it's yeah. usually just a button. So you- <laughs> yeah, no, I got that down. I got that down. But <laughs> no, that's not us at all. So did, did you just get to the point where you're like, eh, I don't feel like doing this anymore? Or did Yeah, you know, we just we just wanted to try something different. So we both had an interest. We just had both sort of thought it would be fun to start our own business at some point. Um, and uh, my husband had been a big wine collector and super into wine. I enjoyed drinking wine, but I was I couldn't say I was like mad about wine beforehand. But um, I did like I did. I enjoyed it from the consumer side, and uh, I was just, you know, happy to give it a try. So, and we did have this big research focus. So we sort of, 
we live in Maryland. We, I grew up in Maryland. This is where we lived. And so we started out really trying to figure out, like, could we grow the kinds of wines that we like to drink in this area? And the more we studied the details and tried to figure out what it would take to make great wines, the more we looked at our region and what kinds of uh, soils we have and kind of what the climate's like, the more excited that we got about it. It's a real prospect. So it was kind of a slippery slope. But once we, once we got heavy into researching it, we finally said, this is going to be a great thing to try. So we decided to take the plunge. So how long, well, I guess, because I think I read somewhere, you only produce wine from grapes that, that we've grown yourself. Yes, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I, what actually, we'll rewind a little bit. Long. Um, That's your answer is <laughs> <yeah>. forever. <laughs> you could ask the question. <laughs> well, no, first I was like, what, what was the, was it that you and your husband decided, all right, we're going to open a winery and then you quit doing the consulting or was it you quit doing the consulting you said you did you traveled around for a while was it during that you're like hey our next phase of life should be owning a, a yeah it was more b wine. than a so okay. we we had when we were still working sort of thought like it would be fun to do something different but we realized that when you're working full-time and we had busy jobs we traveled a lot and you know like you just your day fills up so yeah. the ability to really take some time and figure out what we would want to do and how we would want to do it was just not going to happen while we were still working full-time so uh we quit with the idea that we would do something else but without a clear idea of what that was going to be winery was on the list but there were kinds of a lot of fun things that were on the list there were other possibilities out there and then we the idea was that we were going to take a year off and travel and try to go to places that are kind of far away and hard to get to and that it's just not easy to do when you're working full-time and you have a week vacation or two weeks vacation. Yeah. So we just went, you know, we went to Asia and Africa and South America and we'd love to hike and spend a lot of time doing big hiking trips and that kind of thing. And then during that time, we started to really focus on all right, what are the things we like, what do we think we'd be good at, uh, what kind of a business we want to start. And that's where winery rose to the top of the list. So you kind of pretended like you were Australian for a little while. Do a little walkabout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically, that was it. I mean, we both love to travel and we had traveled a ton for work. So we had literally millions of frequent flyer miles. So we could cash them all in and go go on lots of fun trips and then, you know, take it from there. It's right. Every international vacation I've ever gone on, we've run into at least one couple from Australia on yeah, their walkabout. Yeah. It's funny because I think when they travel, they go for a long time because they're coming from far yeah, away. So that's, that's what, what they, they said. They're like, we can't bother to come here unless it's for two months or six months or some long way, yeah, long time. Um, my wife went to school in Europe. Okay. And she went to school with the was just for a semester, mm -hmm. and she went to school with this woman from Australia who was an opera singer, and she told her if she ever got married, that she would sing at her wedding. Oh, awesome. So w once I proposed, she emailed her friend. Both of them quit their jobs. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> That's all the like, not just jobs. Like, the one right. was a lawyer and one was, wow. like, a, a journalist. So like, they, they had careers, not right, jobs. Right, right, right. It wasn't like... They, right. they traveled for a few months, then oh, came... Great came, stayed with us for a few weeks, and then moved to Canada for a year, and then went back then to Australia. Then went back. That's awesome. No, that's great. That's great. I'm probably happy to have the excuse yeah. to do it all. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, so we're going to take a real quick break okay. to, for, to thank our sponsors, and then once we get back, um, I guess we'll get into the probably what was the painful part of the whole process. <laughs> no problem. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. 
Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. All right, so you were on your walkabout. Yes. Decided, um, well, I guess the, so... Even before that, you were like, consulting's done. We're, we're going to figure out what we want to do when we grow up now. Exactly, exactly. Um, so you're out and about. Uh, did you leave, did, did you come to this decision while you are at a winery? Because that would make this story cooler. Right, it would make this story cooler. Just say it was at did. a lot of wineries, I will <laughs> say. There was a lot of wine drinking going on, for sure. Uh, I cannot say that it was sort of like this one aha moment where we thought like, okay, this is our dream. This is what we're going to do. Uh, there were lots of them. I mean, we spent a lot of time just thinking about what we like. Um, and I really will say we, we knew that if we were going to do it, we were, there were certain kinds of wines that we wanted to make and we, we didn't want to leave our home. It seems kind of silly, but we love, like I live in Silver Spring. I live near my family. We just wanted to stay there. And so we said, we're only going to do this if we can make these really great wines and stay in our house and do it in Maryland. So then we started doing all kinds of research about what that would take. And the more we learned, the more intrigued we became by it. So it was a little bit of a, the the kind of taking the plunge was a little bit of a slow process. There was a moment where we decided to buy the farm and then like, yeah, okay. So I mean, literally I remember the two of us sitting in our backyard, we each had our own notebooks and we were writing like all the pros and cons. And then we said, okay, then we'll just compare and see if we both say yes. And we were like, yes, yes, okay. <laughs> you know, So there was definitely a pivot point, but um, but it was a lot of, there was, there was a lot of thought that went into it along the way. So the, um, did either of you ever do like the make your own wine thing beforehand or did you go into this never having made wine yourself? So we had never made wine ourselves and people told us along the way, you have to make wine at home, you have to make wine at home. So finally, after we had ordered uh, 15,000 grapevines and we bought this farm and we were ready to go, we're like, fine, we'll just make wine once in our basement. And we bought some fruit, we tried to make wine in our basement and it was terrible. It was so horrible. And we did have a moment of like, what have we gotten into? We have no idea what we're doing. The fact is, it's very hard to make wine well on a t- tiny scale in your basement. Oh, really? When you have real equipment and temperature control and you're actually paying attention to it on a regular basis, yeah. it's much easier to make a decent product. So our terrible failed basement wine, fortunately, was not indicative of our long-term prognosis. <laughs> but it was well, a little unsettling no, at the moment. But it probably yeah. was indicative because I, that, that's a common thing I ask every single brewery owner that comes in. And I think we're at like maybe two that made a batch of beer and that it was good. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, good. Them, I don't feel so yeah, bad so then. Yeah. I think, I think you kind of have to. Now, it's always funny. There's been a couple who like made their first batch it was undrinkable and then decided that they were like they were going to open a brewery right oh yeah this is good right 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 by then the die was cast we'd already you know we'd already decided we were doing it and we just thought oh my goodness well we'll keep trying and we'll figure it out we'll figure it out yeah let's just make a massive scale of it and hope it's better and it was which is good yeah so to find because if i'm remembering correctly there are a lot of great varieties that don't grow well in maryland at all Mm -hmm. so did you have to rely on trial and error at all, or were you basing it off of 
what had already been figured out for the Maryland? So it was a little bit of both. We did we have not pulled anything out. So, uh, but we did. You know, we started when we were figuring out what to grow. We started with a long list of what we like to drink because that was sort of that seemed like the first best idea. And then we did a lot of research into what people had already grown in our area and had success with. And then also what grew well in other regions of the world that had similar climate to us. So in terms of um, summer temperatures, amounts of rainfall, humidity, and then just kind of growing conditions in the soil. So then from that list, we could pull together what we thought would do well. So we, we grew a few things. Like we planted Gruner Veltliner, which is an Austrian varietal. It's hugely planted. It's the number one grape grown in Austria. Uh, we put in a half acre at Black Ankle, which was the most, it was as many vines as we could get hold of. And at the time, it was the largest planting of Gruner Veltliner in the United States. I mean, it just hadn't really been done around here. Now it's pretty popular. You see it in lots of places. Okay. So it was very experimental on that yeah. front. It's worked. So I guess, you know, if it hadn't worked, you would have pulled it out. Um, so there were a few like that. Albarino also is a Spanish variety, had not been grown much in this area at all. We decided to give it a try. And then we had some others like Viognier, which had been grown a lot in Virginia successfully. So we tried to have a mix of stuff that we were kind of pushing the envelope on and some varieties that we were pretty confident were going to go grow well. So you... You st- Did you always start from day one only using your own grapes? We did. We did, yeah. So you had – so you, you bought the farm. Yeah. How long before you planted your first – So we started the project pretty seriously in 2000, 2001, just researching okay. and figuring out, looking for land. We bought our farm in May of 2002 and then planted vineyards the next two years okay. for the beginning. So three and four we planted. We had our first harvest of any size in 2006. Oh, wow. And then, yeah, it's a long time. Yeah. And then, then the wines take some time to make. So we bottled our first wines in the summer of 2008. And that's, we opened for sale. We sold our first bottle of wine in October of 2008. So it's just a long, slow process. Now, were those good? They were good. <laughs> they were. We made a little tiny bit of wine in 05, which was like we thought was great. It was pretty good, but it was way better in 06. <laughs> that's why you don't hear about anything until 06. <laughs> we didn't sell anything until then, yeah. Yeah, because that, that would be really bad. Like you wait yes, all that time right, and you're right. like, oh, wow, this is yeah. not good. Right. It's a pretty nerve-wracking seven or eight years in there where you're okay. like, I hope this makes sense. I hope this makes sense, you know. But and I we, guess along, know. I mean, once you, so how long does it take from the the making portion of it? So white wines, usually it's about six months between harvest and bottling. So we what we what we harvested this fall, we'll bottle in the spring of next year. The reds, it's usually about 18 months. So it just depends on okay, that. Okay, so you're, the, the it's reds still take a time. long It's still time. another year and a half, yeah. even after you've picked the fruit. Yeah, yeah, before you're uh, before you're ready to bottle it. So once you when you pick the the grapes. Mm-hmm. Can you, do you have a good sense of what the wine's going to turn out by like the taste of the grapes themselves or are there so many variables that you really, you're just hoping that it turns out? I would say I do now. I would say in the beginning, maybe not so much. (laughs) Um, You can tell, it's, I feel like a lot of things about this project, we can tell early if there's bad news. We can't always tell early if there's good news. That makes sense. So I can tell you there's a disaster. Uh, It might take a little time to be sure it's good. Now I feel like we know the varieties and we know our our grapes well enough that pretty much when we pick them, even when they're on the vines, well, by the time we get them inside, we can say, okay, this is going to be a good vintage or not. Yeah. That was one of the things I was most surprised about learning about winemaking was like how finicky what grapes are like that they're 
you need the rain, but not too much rain, Absolutely. but you need the rain at a certain time yes, and not yes. at another right, time. Right, right. <laughs> they are very, very finicky. And when we're trying to grow, we're trying to make these sort of super concentrated high-end wines. We're pushing the ripeness of the fruit to kind of the, almost the edge of collapse. So when you are trying to get fruit really ripe like that, it uh, it's very fragile. So you're just you know, and uh, to me it's kind of gross. But I think of like think of like a banana that yeah. sits on your counter for a long time. Like if you're gonna make banana bread, you want it to be like pretty. It's pretty squishy, right? Yeah. The grapes are almost to that point when they're ready to make these kinds of wines. But if it rains too much, if it gets too cold, like lots of things can go wrong because at that point they're very fragile. Okay, that's I, a lot of what's going on. Yeah, yeah. Um, we're going to take another quick break, and then I want I want to talk more about that because I hadn't. I don't know anything about that timing type yeah, of thing, enough, and that sure. sounds interesting. Sure. <laughs> the NCAP podcast is brought to you by District East. A lot of Friday and Saturday afternoons, you'll find me at District East for their weekly beer tastings. District East is part of the local beer community, and they get limited releases and exclusive beers that are hard to find anyplace else. This is why I chose District East for the release of my collaboration beers. One of my favorite things to do at District East is building a custom six-pack. With over 900 beers on their shelves and new beers every week, District East is a great place to find beers I love and to discover new and hard-to-find ones. They also have eight beers on tap for crowler and growler fills, and they have kegs to go. District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beer lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. I'm excited to announce our newest sponsor, Vanish Farmwoods Brewery. Vanish is a brewery and entertainment complex located on a 62-acre hops and apple farm in Luckett's, Virginia, just 20 minutes from Frederick, Maryland and Leesburg, Virginia. With over 20 beers on tap, a selection of wines and ciders, along with multiple food options, there is something for everyone. Vanish has live music on Saturdays and Sundays and a wide variety of special events. Go to VanishBeer.com for information on everything they have to offer. So you had said that you aim for high-end wines, which is what I've always heard of. The like, Black Ankle is one of the wineries that's listed to me as being the the good wines great, in great. Maryland. That right. there are a lot of bad ones, and then there are. <laughs> I will never say that. <laughs> and, there are many and, styles. There yeah. are many styles, and I will say yeah, that because people do say, "Oh, there's bad wines and good wines," but there are just. Different ways people are trying to make different things to do. People are trying yeah, to make. Yeah, I because mean, then I'm sure it's a, it has a lot to do with my palate changing. Uh, but I my wife drinks wine. Mm-hmm. I've hated it for the longest time. But I think as I drink more and more sour beers, I've started to enjoy more wines. Mm-hmm. I, I don't drink it on a regular basis, right, but right. like I've at least when we had Old Westminster in. I enjoyed the wines that he brought with him. Oh, that's good. Um, and I think I've actually maybe once or twice drank a wine outside of <laughs> recording since then. And, but that's more to do with there's there's a lot of beer, that's and I need true. to I that's need to true. work my way through it before well, I. Well, then you then you're gonna wait a long time <laughs> before you get to drink any wine. So my my, wa- my wife takes care of the wine drinking. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do feel like there's a time and a place for each, and I feel like it depends on what you're eating and you know what what uh, what the occasion is. There's sort of good wine days and good beer days yeah. because I like both. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, says my wife. My wife yeah, loves craft right, beer and right, she loves right. wine and. It, it's often like, hey, you want a beer? Nah, it's a wine night. Right, oh, okay. Well, you're okay. wrong, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, so 
that was something I'd never thought of or heard before. So, or so you said to aiming for high end wines, you push the grapes to their limit. Mm-hmm. Is that what also can help contribute to cost differences in things too? Because yields sure, are yes. worse and right when you're when you're pushing things to their limits, sometimes they're going to have fallen off the edge before you can get to them, or you know things can turn quickly. So yeah, it can make a big difference. It can make a big difference. So so waiting to harvest to that point, what benefits does that give you? So the what it does is it allows the fruit to develop kind of more interesting flavors. And it allows us to be able to get them out of it. So for I'll use red wines because that's where it's the most dramatic. But the skins, when they when they're first, I mean, when they the grape starts, they're like rock hard. And then as the fruit grows, the skins are still very kind of crispy, and they're very firm still. When you think of a grape that you eat, you crunch into it, and it's very yeah. firm. And that color. Um, all of the color in all wine is in the skins. All grape juice starts out totally clear. And there are many white wines made from grapes that look red, but you just pull them off the skins super fast. Okay. And then a lot of the interesting kind of subtleties and flavors are sitting in the skins. So the as the grape gets older on the vine, as it matures, the skins get thinner and thinner and more fragile, and they're able to give up that color and flavor and interest much more easily. So uh, if you picked a grape while it was still really kind of firm and crunchy, you're going to have a hard time getting anything out of it to make an interesting wine. Whereas if you've gotten it once the skins begin to soften a little bit, you're going to get much more interest. You're just going to get more complexity, more layers of flavor, more intensity of flavor, uh, and aromas as well. So what is the, like, the timing window that you have uh, for for harvesting so the i mean the overall harvest usually for us goes from the last week in august through the middle of october and it'll shift a little bit we grow 12 different varieties of grapes on the farm so they do ripen at slightly different times so it's not a mad dash try to get everything in at once and it's very subjective in terms of what we pick so when we're getting ready to pick we spend a lot of time literally walking up and down the rows and tasting fruit looking at the health of them and deciding when it's when it's ready to pick. There's nothing we can, there's sort of nothing scientific that we measure that's going to say, okay, this is ready. We do it all by taste. Uh, And so we're just deciding when we're getting the flavors that we want, when we're getting the kind of uh, softness in the skins that we want. So like if you're going down and you're like, this is what I want it to be, like, do you have like a day where it's going to stay at that level or like, or is it like, we better get it done right this well, it depends the, on the weather. Get the tractor yeah, and- <laughs> it depends on what the weather's doing. So this fall we had beautiful weather, lots of sun, cool nights. We had a lot of flexibility. Um, if if we have a storm coming, yeah, it could be a matter of a day. You know, it could be so sort of if things stay sort of fairly even in the weather, we might have two or three day window. It's okay. close, but it's not. Immediate. I mean, that's still but it's pretty, pretty tight. Small. Yeah, it can be tight. That thing. I mean, things are always changing, but you might have kind of a window that things are going to be good. When, if you have, mostly if you have rain coming, then you could have a huge change. So when the, if you get a storm late, the vines tend to be kind of thirsty because we often have dry weather towards mm-hmm. the end of the season, and they'll just start to suck up too much water. And you can have, it can dilute the fruit, so you just have a waterier wine starting out or watery juice starting out and then if you go too far it'll they can actually drink up to the point where they'll start to burst the grapes and then very quickly you can have you can have molds come in basically you can have the fruits begin to rot so it just tightens up your window really 
dramatically if you have a storm coming. Can you recover from ones that have too much water in them? Like where it's watered down or is... So in the vineyard, if you then have some sunny days, yes, it, okay. the, eventually that will go away as long as you haven't had that bursting or you start to have molds come yeah. in. So it's kind of a t- touchy thing. If you've got bad weather and the bad weather is staying and you just have no choice and you just have to pick it, and sometimes that happens, we are in a climate where it rains, then there's a little bit you can do. So what we do when we bring the grapes into the winery is we do um, we pull some juice off right away. So normally what goes into the tank is for the red wines, we take the stems off, but the whole berry, the skin, the pulp, the juice, the seeds all go into the tank. And we do right away what's called bleeding, and it just means you suck some of the juice out right away. And if it's wet, you can pull more of that out, and that will help to concentrate what's left. Okay. It's not like a perfect solution, but it makes a big difference. And we always bleed a little bit because that's just going to help to concentrate. It just means your ratio of how much juice is in there to how much skin is in there is going to shift, and you can adjust that. And that will help with the intensity and concentration of the fruit. So the the damage of the late storms isn't like a physical – damage of winds or rain it or could it be okay, could so. be but mostly not yeah okay. no mostly it's not i mean if you really had a hailstorm or something that can be a disaster if you had super high winds you could i mean again this fruit is so it's barely hanging on so if it's really windy you could have stuff blow onto the ground you okay. know it's not going to be that's usually wouldn't be a huge percentage of the crop but you could see some losses from that yeah yeah so the once you go through it's at the point where you've that like this is perfect we yes. have a day or two to get this off yeah uh, how long from harvest do you have where you're still within the same optimal time or do you harvest it and you go straight to starting to make wine so we usually when we bring the fruit in we uh we will put it into the tank and then we'll let it sit cold in the tank for five days maybe a week we use all natural yeast, ambient yeast, for our fermentations. So in the beginning of the year, when there's not that much yeast floating around, we can probably wait a week. As the season goes on, the yeast are just like super excited to get going. So sometimes okay. we don't wait as long. And during that period, we call it cold soak. We make the tank very cold. We'll make it 4 or 5 degrees Celsius. So not freezing, but it's almost as cold as we can get it. And that period allows the extraction to start. So you start to get a lot of the flavors and colors out of the skins in um, a solution that's mostly water. So a lot of the yummy flavors that we want, the good flavors that we want, are very soluble in water. And in with grapes, you're going to have some bitterness and some things that even the most beautiful fruit's going to have some of that. You want a little. Some of that's going to give you balance, like in a beer. But too much can be bad. And some of the more more astringent flavors are more soluble in alcohol. So as much as we can kind of front load our our extraction process or where we're pulling things out while we still have mostly water and not so much alcohol, we will do that. And, but then the winemaking starts right after that. So usually after a week, five, five days to a week, we'll start to warm the tanks up, and then the yeast will get going. Yeast like okay. to operate in a nice warm environment, um, 70, 80 degrees, maybe a little more. So we'll let the tanks warm, and then the fermentations will go. And a red wine firm, the actual fermentation process is very fast. You go from juice to wine in a week. Easily. Oh, wow. And then, bam, you have wine. Then you have another 18 months of barrel aging where a lot of much more subtle yeah. changes are happening. But, yeah, we could – I mean, we could pick in September and bottle in October, and we'd have wine. It wouldn't be as good as it is if you just wait another year yeah. and a half. But it's, it would be okay, actually. It's not terrible. Um, so you, you had said that the different varieties um, are harvested at different times. Yes. 
So are you able to harvest, like once you, for one single variety, is everything usually matured all at the same time? So you're able to pick that entire variety or, or will there be like sections of your vineyard you harvest, wait, have to wait on some of it to catch up? Yeah. So one of the things, one of our overarching goals in making wine is, is complexity. We just want to have a lot of complexity in wine because it's going to make it more interesting. Mm-hmm. So we purposely have the same variety of grape planted in multiple places on the farm so that they have slightly different sun exposures, slightly different soils they're in. And so those, even within the same variety, sometimes those different lots will be ready to pick at different times. And so, yes, we might be okay. picking, you know, there might be a week or 10-day window that we're picking Cabernet Sauvignon. Um, there might be, uh, you know, same for Syrah or Merlot, where we're picking over a series of days because the lower hill ripens earlier than the upper hill or vice versa. And that'll shift sometimes year to year where what the different parts do. But, yeah, there's usually a little bit of a window. I feel like I've asked this question to someone before, but I don't remember the question, the answer at sure. all. So maybe different for us. Who knows, <laughs> yeah. right? So, well, actually, so you specifically, and then maybe winemakers just as a whole, mm-hmm. do you have, like – a a brand or where there's a flavor profile you try to hit. So like a Sierra Mm -hmm. Nevada pale ale has been a Sierra Nevada pale ale for how 20 some years that Mm -hmm. they've been making it. It's they try to make it taste exactly the same as possible. Do, Do winemakers do the same thing or is it just every year it's what, happens right so i think there are two different answers so for us we are very and for when you get into the sort of more boutique type wineries we want we're gonna we're gonna take what the year brings us within our different wines we try to have a sense of consistency in terms of but we're thinking much more in terms of sort of palate weight length overall impression of the wine uh, we have, say, there are two, our two big Bordeaux blends, so blends of Bordeaux grapes, Crumbling Rock and Rolling Hills. And the Crumbling Rock is always made to be a longer aging. It's going to start more tannic. It's going to be more concentrated and bigger. The Rolling Hills is going to be slightly lighter, slightly earlier drinking. We want to keep those consistent, kind of how it feels in your mouth. But the actual flavors, like, oh, this reminds me of blackberries, and that one reminds me of, you know, cedar chest. We don't, we don't try to manipulate that at all. We okay. want the grapes and we want the place to express itself. So that's kind of a different approach. I think when you get into more of the mass market wines, if you're thinking of kind of the big brands, grocery store brands, they're looking for much more of a consistent flavor profile. It's just it, a different, it's almost a different product. Yeah. You're needs it at different times. Are, so yeah. they, are they able to do that just from blending? Is I think it's a lot of blending. I think there, there are some ingredients and some things you can play around with that they will do uh, that we don't do to okay. try to kind of balance it out. But a lot of it is blending and it, oak additions and kind of some other things like that that will make a difference. Yeah. But okay. we feel like it's, it's great to have the different years have a different feeling. One of the very fun things we'll do once in a while is open the same wine from six years and just talk about, okay, why are they different and what's going on and what did the year bring us and what is the blend? How is the blend different? All of that. So – I'm guessing then, like, wine drinkers mm-hmm. don't expect... They don't to, expect it to so taste the same every yeah, time. Okay. Yeah. So there's yeah. no expectation that this wine from you year to year is going to be even remotely right. similar to each we other. We feel like it should be reminiscent in terms of kind of heft and yeah. and, and kind of body. and But no, it doesn't have to taste the same. Gotcha. Right? In fact, it shouldn't. It should Because otherwise it's boring. You want it to be interesting. <laughs> so, yeah. And people will have a love one, you know, we'll have arguments. Was the 11 better than the 13? You know, because it's a different style. Yeah. People will like different things. And that's fine. That's what we're going for. Yeah. So um, we're going to take one more quick sponsor break. Okay. Um, 
and then I have a, I'm not sure what direction we'll go in yet, but I definitely have questions. Okay, great. (laughs) Okay, so you you made the comparison between the large, um, and I don't don't even know wine names, so I'm just going to say like what what you find in a box. I'm assuming everything in a box is a mass market. What so like in the beer world, mm-hmm. max mass market is bad. Like you know, you, if you're if you're a craft beer person, you're most likely not going to buy an Anheuser Busch product. And in fact, if you your favorite craft brewery was purchased by AB and Bev, you will turn on them too. <laughs> not everyone's like I can see what you mean. Right? Not, yeah. not everyone's like that, but like it's definitely like they're bad. Yeah. In the craft spirits wor- world. It's different because the big guys are the ones that have been making the best product forever. True. Know how to do it. They're not making an inferior product it, because they're so huge. They're they're still making the best. Mm-hmm. What's it like in the wine world? So I'd say it's a little bit of both. There are definitely some relatively big brands that are very well known that are considered to be excellent. I mean. In general, if you're making a massive quantity, those are going to be the wines that are not considered as good. When you look at the people who are making two, three million cases of something, like eh, they're going to be fine, but they're not going to be great. And is that um, from like a complexity standpoint? Yeah, and- they just, I mean, they in order to do that, right, they tend to be shorter age. They tend to have higher yields on the fruit that they're picking. So they're just going to have less complexity, less interest, a little bit simpler. And they're generally at a lower price point. I mean, that's yeah. it. That's what they're trying to do is get out there and get, you know, something to drink. So um, would that be like where... Like it sounds like there's a lot of labor and care taken into when and how your grapes are are harvested. So like for those, the cheaper ones, would it be more like they're grown? It's close to good. We need to get <laughs> we so need even to get even less so than harvest. Although also harvest, it's much more so. The harvest, yes, we do a lot, but we do a ton of work throughout the growing season. Each one of our vines, we have over a hundred thousand vines. Every single vine is touched by a human seven or eight times a okay. year. We just do a ton of work, and all what we're doing with that is managing crop load. To, to a point, the lower the load is, the, the less crop you get, the higher quality it's going to be. So that's one thing. Then it's also to manage sun exposure. We want to make sure that the grapes have great exposure to sun and wind and are kind of – all those things are going to optimize ripening. If you're trying to make more of a mass market product, you don't have the, you don't have the capacity to have that yeah. kind of hand labor. You're just hoping everything gets close Pretty enough. Pretty good. There are machines that can get it close enough. Yeah. And they'll just have a much bigger yield. So we get on average about two and a half, maybe three tons an acre of fruit you can get for some varieties you could get six or seven tons you could get twice or more than that okay you're just not going to have as much interest you know we ask for one bottle of wine from each of our plants and that's just that way there's this huge root structure that can go 30 feet down that's going to all do all its work to get us this one bottle of wine if you're going to have a much more mass market they might be getting 15 bottles of wine out of their their same plan you know so it's just kind of what we're what we're putting in so those facebook ads that i see all the time about how i'm I'm sure once i describe it you've seen it where it it shows you it's it's saying that like a good bottle of wine should be twenty dollars because no matter what the cost of what's in it is a fixed cost for the alcohol and then expensive ones are just because of marketing and fancy packaging 
But well, and then that's what right, I, I right. kind of always thought, like, oh, that makes well, sense. Like, right, yeah. right, right, right. But for like from what you just described, though, like from the yield from a single plant, that would I assume that greatly affects it can make the, a difference the price of what a bottle of wine makes. Right. I mean, there are a number of factors that go in. Um, I think that 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 idea is not completely ridiculous, but it's not. It doesn't tell the whole story either. Yeah. So you can get some pretty good wines for twenty dollars. I mean, that's possible, but. Uh, there is also a lot more that can go into making something. Um, and wine is funny. I mean, there are wines that sell for $2,000 a bottle, you know, many wines. And those, have, they're very good, but you may hit a point where, like, mm, how much better can they be? And they I'm do gonna have go out some. I'm going to go on a limb yeah. and, that, and guess I will never try You that. may never try. <laughs> I'm trying to think the most expensive wine. I've had wines that are five, dollars $600. I've had some crazy expensive stuff, and it was great. But, you know, you get to the point where it's, like, fine art or jewelry or something. Like, you, you to hit trick a point. yourself into liking it. Well, no, not, not. I mean, you may like it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Maybe art's bad, but you know, there's there's a point where you're like, okay, this is better than that, this is better yeah. than that, and then this is also kind of cool. You know, there's yeah. some cachet tied to it, or it's rare. You know, that's why. I mean, why is a diamond valuable? It's just a rock, but they're yeah. rare. They're no. pretty, well, but no. they're rare. You know, no, they're not that. Rare. I know, I know, they're not actually rare. <laughs> so that's but that's another worse. whole story, right? Right. So I mean, we're you know, there are things that there's elements to both. You yeah. Know? Well, so like in beer, I mean, there's definitely fluctuations in prices and stuff, but sure, it's pretty close. Right, it's right. not like the difference between a no, twenty dollars. No, wine is wild, yeah. Um, except for Sam Adams Utopias, and yeah. it, it's a they they only release it every two years. It's more of like a port wine than oh, it interesting, is, right? Than it is beer, but it is br- it's brewed right, and then okay. it's aged for two years. Uh, it's not carbonated. They oh. only make. Oh, I'm probably gonna get this wrong. It's either like twelve hundred or sixteen hundred bottles of it a year. Okay, so it's tiny. Yeah, it's and it's just—it's in a ceramic bottle that's coated in copper, and it looks like a, like an old brew kettle, and it has a window oh. on it that oh, opens, wow. and Sam Adams oh, my, is the there. The package alone is yeah. what you're paying for, right? So right. I think cool. they're—they typically sell for like three hundred dollars a bottle now. Right. And a few years ago, even though I was positive I wasn't going to like it, it, I got caught up in that because it was—it was, it was two thousand seven. I have a, mm-hmm. a two thousand seven bottle of it. I was like, I got to have that. Like, that is... Right. Oh, my God. That's so cool. (laughs) So I got some. It's awful. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's too bad. So then it was like everyone who came to my house, I was like, here, you want to try this? They thought I was giving them the world because I was allowing them to drink (laughs) the super expensive beer that only a moron like myself (laughs) would spend that much money on. But it's (laughs) cool. You'll have the bottle forever, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's still some in there. And it it, actually, I tried it again. It, It tastes the same as it did. Huh, but it's like it's also 20 i mean it's not oxidized some but i want to say it's like 25 percent alcohol could be so i mean ports are usually kind of 19 20 something like that but it could be that it's even higher yeah yeah, yeah so yeah, it's yeah. super strong and yeah that's I, funny so right. like that i think that's probably the most right the craziest that you've ever got right yeah. right well i mean and i think that's a great example there's a point where you hit it's just there's there's something cool about it and for people it is exciting it's pretty fun to have tried this yeah. thing that's really special and there isn't much of and you got to try it like well, that's something like, to I've, that you know i've had um bourbons or whiskeys i don't know how much they would cost but they're ones i know were probably right. close to that right right and I was like, okay, it tastes like a bourbon. Right, if you can't tell, <laughs> I'm also, right. I'm not a huge bur- like I'm right. not a you gotta bourbon like snob it in the or anything, place, but right, I right. like it, but yeah. like, I'm not an aficionado, so right, right. maybe if I was in that world, I would have thought it was much more mind-blowing, but to me, it was like, 
Oh, I could go to McClintock right. and their bourbon tastes just right. as good. Right, do all to of me. that, and then you should. Yeah. I know. Well, people will say, "Oh, but I like cheap wine." I'm like, "Lucky you! That's yeah. awesome." You know? I mean, I don't help my business, Eddie, but it's yeah. great because then you're gonna be happy. So that was. I actually, I had always wondered if that advertising was at all accurate. So, like, so, so a little bit yes, but there's there's like more to the story but it's going. not outrageous i would say and i you know i think people should if you're interested in wine you want to try wines go to your local wine store and talk to the people who work there they generally are very knowledgeable and they can lead you to say this is what i want to spend they can usually find some pretty good wines at almost any price point i mean you probably want to get above 10 12 dollars to have it <laughs> pretty good um but you know much as i think people should be <laughs> spending 50 dollars on their wine it doesn't have to be every bottle every time and there's yeah. something special when you're going to go to that point and we get that we're not expecting people to drink our wine every single day but i think there's a time and a place where you want to have a splurge and it's a special occasion and it's great and you know you can you can explore lots of different places and see what you think what is the price range that your wine falls in so our wines fall from right about thirty dollars the main range is thirty dollars to about sixty okay. and then we do have one that's 125 I think so they go way up but that's the the, the main the main what's area. special so about that one it is a it's called our estate and it's a barrel selection so it is basically uh, older vines so the vines that had been growing long enough which makes a big difference in how complex and interesting okay. the fruit is that they're going to produce just like people we get better with age <laughs> and um, we sort of went through and took a selection of we went through and made all the wines and then pulled some of the best barrels to put together this wine so it's just kind of a longer aging more concentrated, like a little more of everything okay. wine. and it's also very limited in production which helps is there a um, a time limit on on vines, or do they just keep they, going? So they're they're somewhat like an orchard tree. They tend to have their first. They sort of start to produce after three or four years. Uh, most vines can live and be pretty productive 40 or 50 years. There are vines that are over 100 years old. There's kind of a curve. So when they start out, the fruit's usually not that great. Then the fruit gets better and better. And they generally get better and more interesting as they age. But as the vines get very old, the production tends to go way down. So the sort of normal lifespan of a vineyard is usually considered 40, maybe 50 years. Okay. Uh, because after that, sometimes your yields are so small that if you are making really fantastic, really expensive wines, you can start afford to farm them but you just might hit a point where it costs too just much to count. leave that yeah you just can't you just can't pencil it out anymore. so the the quality doesn't go down just the amount that the yield it yields. goes down okay. and it can hit a point where it's just you just can't do it anymore yeah yeah so i guess at that point you just have to have excess capacity of vines because because you can't like rip it out, plant something, and then it's instantly no right. It's a big it, decision, so. right? Right. If you want to switch something over, you're looking at kind of five, six years before you're going to get the production off of it. So that's a decision to make, right? Right. And so what people will do will pull out one section and then plant it and then put another, okay. so they don't have not they don't they don't have nothing. Yeah, they don't have. <laughs> so that's actually right, but they yeah. don't have a time period when they have nothing. Yeah. Um. Mm. So in that instance, would like you through blending is how you would. You would mix. So people have different ideas about how to do that. So generally what we do, we will plant, we will pick everything, we will make each wine, you know, take care of each wine in whatever way we think that wine is going to be best. 
in terms of how much oxygen we give it, how much we stir it during the fermentation process, kind of that type of thing. Put it in barrels. We will put it in a mix of barrels. So we'll use a mixture of older and newer barrels. Uh, we, we use barrels from different coopers, again, trying to get all this complexity. In. And then when we sit down at the blending table, so sort of a year into the life of the wine, we'll do the blends, usually f- even 15 months into the, into the process. And um, then we'll go through and we'll taste every barrel. So by the, we only have 12 varieties, and, but by the time we're sitting at the blending table, we might have 100 different iterations of the different clones of a variety, where they were grown on the hill, what kind of barrel they were in, all of that. And then we'll put together just, I mean, it's literally mix and mast and taste and trying to put together what we think the best kind of blend okay. is going to be. Yeah, yeah. Um, I feel like it's probably obvious, and I have a good idea where it came from, but where did the name Black Ankle come from? So we are on Black Ankle Road, which is the short and boring answer. I, the fact is stomping the grapes. Yeah. It's stomping the grapes. So we we bought this farm, and I think it was like the closing attorney when we were you know signing the paperwork. She's like, you have to call it Black Ankle Vineyards because stomping the grapes. So we thought we kicked around a lot of other names. We were like, you know, this is kind of the most fun. <laughs> so you love it or you hate it, but it's pretty memorable. Yeah. You know, for a long time, my father would say they haven't named it yet. They haven't named. It. He couldn't get around Black. Angle. He's over it now, twenty years in. But you know, we just like so. But it is pretty memorable. Yeah, I mean, I like. Yeah. You know, I, I, as a non-wine person, <laughs> right? I, I'm just in there, right? Seeing that that's that's why, where, yeah, that's why made, we stuck with and, it. And it, it was handed to us. Right, right, I guess yeah. I didn't. I've been there once before, and I guess I didn't notice that the name yeah. of the road. Well, people was ask all the time if it was named after us, but no, their name was there first. But it did seem like you know fortuitous that that's what we had to call it. So that's what we're calling. So it. was the was the farm named Black Ankle also? The, the before you bought no, it? No, no, it? I didn't. It had I can't remember what the people called it before, um, but it hadn't been a vineyard or anything. It had just been a family farm. Yeah. So yeah. What do you know what they grew there? So the people who we bought it from were not farmers. They had a neighbor farm it for them. And it okay. was just your your usual rotation of Maryland crops. So soybeans, wheat, corn, um, hay. He, he was a dairy farmer, so he used a lot of it for that. So okay. it just rotated through. Yeah. 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 I, I just learned a lot about dairy farming recently. Oh, it's but interesting. It, it, really, it, it actually surprisingly yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. One thing I didn't know is like that the government sets the price for milk. I had no idea about that. And it yeah. seems completely ludicrous that like right. uh dairy farmers in maryland are working at the same price point as ones in the midwest considering how much more expensive everything, everything they do is. it's is tricky here. it is tricky yeah no there's a, it's a the, the farm that's another whole conversation yeah. <laughs> the whole farming well, in our country because it is it's very mixed yeah, yeah. I, I i'm um, doing leadership frederick oh uh, great this yeah. class round mm-hmm. last our last session was ag day where we went around and toured a bunch of farms oh and that's great that's learned great about the different had, types of farming out at our farm once yeah. See, I would have yeah. enjoyed that more than when we went to like, well, we went to a year. produce farm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's good. It's important was, too. It was, but it was. I like, know. It's I, the plan. dairy farmer was interesting. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, um, yeah. But the the rest of them were slightly less. Because I mean they were, but not as I just maybe because I knew more. Like my grandparents had a farm growing okay. up. They, it wasn't like a a working farm. I guess it. The term from him was a gentleman farmer. Okay, right, like right. Hobby. The money like, came from somewhere else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but, so I knew a lot about like other types of farming, but I knew nothing about 
dairy farm right because my right. grandfather he said dairy cows were disgusting and he wanted nothing to do with raising dairy cows they're a lot of work is what the, you have yeah. to milk them twice a day every day yeah. there's no messing around so that's it and that, that was probably a large part of it too yeah it's just a hobby you don't want no i mean and you cannot there's they're not forgiving i mean you can kill the cow if you don't milk it on time yeah. like you really can't mess around so yeah right so the Name was obvious, but not for the reason I thought. Right, but I'm giving you the reason. That's <laughs> yeah. the reason we use. But I mean, it was kind of handed to us, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, the how many acres is the farm? I mean, it's it's fairly large. It's right? just shy of 150 okay. acres. Yes, yes. And how how much of it is planted with vineyard? It's about I think we're 52 acres of vineyard right now, which it, it's pretty planted. It's pretty much everything that we think we can plant. We have, we have in the last couple of years bought two new farms. So we okay. are expanding. We're in the process of expanding. One of those farms will be just vineyard as far as we're planning. And then the other one, we actually have a plan to start another whole tasting room and winery and like kind of a whole, another whole operation. Oh, like under a different brand? Yeah, under just, a different brand okay. and a whole new location. Yeah. So we, we feel like at Blank Ankle, we've kind of taken, um, it's getting pretty busy, which is great. We have a lot of customers, but it yeah. gets a little crowded. And we want it to be a place where people come and it's comfortable and homey and our service can be great. We don't want everybody to be kind of wedged together. Yeah. So we've done a few expansions there, but we kind of feel like it's as big as we want it to be and keep all that co- comfortableness. comfortableness. And so the new operation will be just like another whole place for people to go. And that's down in Montgomery County. It's right off 270. So in okay. Clarksburg, yeah. And again, it'll be, you know, it's slow. So if all goes well, we'll open in 2024, <laughs> maybe 2025. You know, it's it's a long process, but but we've we've got the place and we're just getting started. So is that right near um, Burton Hill? Then it's is pretty it? close. Yeah, okay. I don't know exactly where that property is, but I think it's it's very close to there. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um. So how how much wine do you produce a year? So it depends because we grow oh, everything. Yeah, it depends on what we get. Are, usually it's right around 7,000 cases. Last year was kind of a horrible rainy year. It was half of that. But our normal yield is about 7,000 cases a year. That's got to yeah. be unbelievably stressful that like, you're at so much reliance on the it weather. Was. That's 2018, <laughs> I was not a very pleasant person <laughs> because you're really tied to the weather. Yeah. I mean, it really matters what you get, uh, what's going on out there. So, yeah, it is. It is it's, it's cool in a way because it matters what the yeah. weather is doing. And it's kind of nice to be tied to the world, the earth or whatever, yeah. you know, not to be too crunchy about it. But it is kind of <laughs> nice to feel like it matters what's going on outside. Um, but it is also there's so much that's out of your hands. It's, uh, it's a great feeling. I love the first rainstorm after we finish picking, and I'm like, I don't care yeah. what the weather's doing. You know, that's great. That's a great feeling once all the grapes are in the door. At what point do you have to start? Like, what at what point of the year do you does the str- weather stress kick in? So it depends on what the weather's doing. Um, in the in the winter, generally, I don't care how much it rains or what it does. If it gets very cold, we can we can lose vines. So okay. and very cold, it's below zero. I mean, below zero yeah. Fahrenheit, like cold. But that usually happens. Yeah, so that can be happens. a little dicey. You know, that's when we can get stressy in the winter. In the summer, um, it dep- so when the f- when the flowers are in bloom, so kind of mid June, it can rain some, but a lot of rain in that period can really limit our crop. The grapevine flowers are so delicate; they're tiny, they're very kind of unimpressive, but they are, we need them to to set the crop. So that can be a time window when a little rain's okay, but a lot can be bad. And then once the the vines are, I mean, the fruit is pretty well established. Again, as long as we have a fair amount of sunshine, a little rain's fine. But day after day after day of rain, we just we need the sun. We need yeah. photosynthesis. You know, we just have to have that. 
up until in a perfect world, kind of like mm, second week in August, the sun will start shining and it will just keep shining through October. And then we're good. <laughs> Middle of October we can take. So that the fall is what really, really makes the yeah. biggest difference to us. So this year was pretty good Beautiful. then, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. If anything, and I am not complaining because I would take it every time, but it was a little bit dry. So the fruit was, when it's very dry, the grapes end up a little smaller. So they're uh-huh. more concentrated. They can be they can be better, but our yield was a little bit down. But okay. it was way better than last year where it rained every day. It was a mess. So like, I'd take a small so harvest, <laughs> but beautiful fruit every time. Yeah, yes. So where do people find you? So the best place to find us is to come out and see us. Um, we are, you know, we have a tasting room. We're open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday throughout the year. What's the address? And it's 14463 Black Ankle Road in Mount Airy. Or you can get on our website, blackankle.com, and take a look. And then we're in stores. We're probably in about 100 stores and restaurants throughout the state. If it's, We can ship wine in Maryland, so you can get online and order online if you don't want to try anything. So yeah, I don't exciting. know why New wine twist. can be shipped, but if beer is shipped... <sighs> World one. I know. Well, we've only been able to ship wine for a few years, so yeah. it's been a, it's been a process. You know, it all goes back to prohibition. It's a whole <laughs> long story. It's another whole another whole story you can do. But yeah. Um. So, and thank you for coming out. Oh, I get my toes. But yes, you get to. Thank you. As I was telling you beforehand, right. you are the first person, other than um, the people at McClintock, that get to taste the actual finished product. It's exciting. That. Uh, my guests have been drinking for close to two years now. Um, this was pulled from the barrel yesterday. I think by the time people are listening to this, will have already have been released and possibly sold out. Um, but if it's not sold out, you should go to McClintock. All right. Get some of Put my name on the list right now. I'm going to get a sneak preview. <laughs> <laughs> comes out December 7th, or it did come out on December 7th. It's named No Cover, um, and it is, I think, delicious. So, it smells great. I don't know. I better, <laughs> I'm going to be able to talk after I drink it. Um, so thank you for coming out. Uh, thank you. Thank you, everyone, for watching and listening. Cheers. Right, this is a treat. Thank you. Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to McClintockDistilling.com for more information. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.